let's talk about general anesthesia. More powerful parenting on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hey everyone, this is Pushback, and I'm Dr. Johnny, and I'm here to share my heart with you again this week. I'm continuing a series that I've entitled Powerful Parenting, and I have sort of a top 10 cultural list that is going to really face everyone's child. Now, the goal of this exercise is not to create fear, uh, but to create awareness to parents and to empower parents to be parents, to, to take that role, that ever important critical role as parents and inject that into our children's lives so that they know how to live comfortably and freely within a boundary. And parents help set those boundaries, not to stifle them or to restrict them, uh, but to give them actually a place of complete freedom that they can operate and fulfill all their dreams. And that's what our hope is for every parent, is that our children can live a life full of joy and purpose for the kingdom. It requires them, however, to what I call take the stand. And that's not just drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is what I stand for, but it's actually like taking a witness stand to actually be able to, to receive questions from the world and actually have an answer to be cross-examined by the culture and, and actually have a real solution. I said before that I don't think our role really in society is to take sides. I think our role is to actually be the mediator. That's what we're here for as representatives of Christ to actually move into our culture and have real answers. And that's what I want for you, for your children, and for my children. You know, we actually have, since it's beautiful October weather here in Minnesota, we actually have been building some bonfires in our backyard and I'm practicing what I preach. Uh, I talked to my kids about uh, the first powerful parenting message that I gave entitled woke is no joke. And I encourage you to go back and, and listen to these top 10 lists. All will be labeled as powerful parenting and I'll get to the third installment here today. But we talked about that and I, I questioned my children and I, I, I told them what was on my heart and I asked them, I said, what if somebody turns to you and says, because you're white, you are a racist? What are they going to say? And I, I, I challenged them to question their own heart of any prejudice or, or prejudgment that they would have. And we had an excellent discussion around the fire, and I thought it was so good. And I encourage you guys to do that. You can play my podcast. They're only 20 minutes long and have the kids listen to them and then give their comments or feedback. Or if you're comfortable just bringing up this, the topic, I think it's a beautiful analogy to have them say, you're taking the stand. I'm going to cross-examine you, and I want to hear what you have to say because it's so much safer around a bonfire with your parents than it would be in the boys' bathroom at the high school. So this is our challenge. This is our place. Today, I want to talk about what I've entitled general anesthesia. I believe that I am fully qualified, if I can be so bold, 
to give my opinion and perspective on this issue of drugs and alcohol use uh, that is facing our children, that's facing the culture, that has somehow even swept our culture away in a lot of ways. I'm an ER doctor, and so there isn't a shift that goes by that I don't see the effects of drugs and alcohol on people's lives. And so this is full and foremost in the news. Uh, it's everywhere. And in fact, I just took a couple paragraphs off an article talking about the fentanyl epidemic. By the way, it's not fentanyl. A lot of news announcers will call it fentanyl. It's actually fentanyl, N-Y-L at the end. <laughs> it's a little public service announcement there for you. But the Drug Enforcement Administration is advising the public of an alarming emerging trend of colorful fentanyl available across the United States. Since August of 2022, that's just a couple months ago, DEA and our law enforcement partners seized brightly colored fentanyl and fentanyl pills in 26 states. Dubbed rainbow fentanyl in the media, this trend appears to be a new method of using uh, a new method used by drug cartels to sell highly addictive and potentially deadly fentanyl made to look like candy to children and young people. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that is 50 times more potent than heroin and 100 times more potent than morphine. Just 2 milligrams of fentanyl, which is equal to 10 to 15 grains of table salt, is considered a lethal dose. Without laboratory testing, there is no way to know how much fentanyl is concentrated in a pill or a powder. It says if you encounter fentanyl in any form, don't handle it. Just call 911 immediately. This is a, this is a crisis that's happening in the world, and I don't think it's a huge coincidence that they are actually targeting it, targeting it to young people. Parents, we need to have our eyes opened to this problem. And if you think your parent, your children are immune to the effects or the, the culture or the world of drugs or alcohol, you're going to need to think again. It's everywhere, it's prevalent, and it's deadly. And again, my heart isn't to scare you or to sadden you. My heart is to bring awareness and conversation and to empower you as parents to have real conversations with your kids. I'm not super worried about my children uh, being alcoholics or drug addicts. On the same token, I know that they're going to be rubbing shoulders with alcoholics and drug addicts. It's called life. And they need to, to know what to say, know what to do, know what they can do to help. They are uh, mediators of this world. They can be helpful and also not to succumb to any temptation. So here I am as an ER doctor and I see this every day. So I was just on call last night. And a 21-year-old man comes into my ER, and he said that he's been drinking uh, over a liter of vodka every day for the last year. My friends, this is what we're seeing all the time. This is a 21-year-old. And of course, you look at his chart, and it's riddled with anxiety and depression-type symptoms, and he's treating it with alcohol. He decided that he was done, he was going to stop drinking, and now he was very worried about withdrawal symptoms, and he was shaky and high blood pressure and not feeling well, this is the saddest situation in the ER, and I see it all the time, and I see it in younger and younger people. Alcohol is deadly because it does a couple things. Um, it decreases your inhibitions. 
So when I talk about inhibitions, I'm talking about personal and social inhibitions, the way that we relate to the world. And it, and it lowers our inhibitions so that we can sort of, quote unquote, be free. And there's lies that are being told by the enemy as, as people drink alcohol. And the lies go something like this. People only like me when I'm drinking or when I'm the life of the party. And they, they feel better. See, it says drinking alcohol beverages is often seen as a way to relax, socialize, or celebrate. But drinking too much or drinking as a way of dealing with feelings of anxiety or depression have negative consequences. That's the biggest understatement paragraph of this world. See, let's be super clear about this. And I want to use very strong language. Alcohol is an anesthetic. It's anesthesia to take away pain. So that the feeling of this world, the depression and anxiety of this world is abated. And I'm telling you that when people are feeling depress depressed and, and anxious and, and they drink alcohol and they feel better, guess what happens the very next time they feel depressed or anxious? They are going to crave alcohol. It's that strong. It is that addicting. It's that much of a pull. That's why it is so deadly. Now, there are many... Um, and I'm going to take a strong stand on this, so so forgive me. There are many that say, well, alcoholism is a disease. Now, I am going to push back against that. I, I don't believe alcohol use and drug use is a disease. I think it's a treatment for a disease. The disease is depression and anxiety. The disease is hopelessness. And alcohol and drugs take you away temporarily from that depression and hopelessness until the drugs and the alcohol wear off, and then you require more to get the same effect. And you become addicted. Now, there is an absolute medical syndrome that goes along with being addicted to drugs and alcohol. I'm not refuting that. I've seen it. I've treated it. And so I know that it's real. But the disease, the problem, you can take somebody to detox and help the addiction, but not help the problem. They still leave depressed and anxious and hopeless. That's why programs such as Teen Challenge that actually brings a spiritual component, not surprisingly, actually has much higher rates than secular programs. Why? Because they're actually dealing with some of the identity issues that are inside of people that actually bring about real healing. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Let me offer you just a couple definitions as we talk and get into a few statistics. Heavy drinking is when someone consumes more than the daily or weekly guideline amounts for alcohol. That happens all the time. I think there are, there are people who are heavy drinkers who uh, would not admit it. It's usually about one drink of alcohol a day, maybe two or three for a man, maybe one or two for a woman. Those drinking beyond that, which is so many people, would be considered heavy drinkers. Binge, binge drinking is when excessive amounts of alcohol are consumed in a short period of time, resulting in a spike in blood alcohol content. People who binge drink are especially prone to blackouts or lapses in memory. We see this all the time as well. And the, and the growing trend of binge drinking is prevalent in high school and in college especially. Now, alcoholism, also known as alcohol dependence, is a disorder characterized by an uncontrollable urge to drink, inability to stop drinking once started, need to drink more and more to feel the same effect, 
and withdrawal symptoms if one does not consume alcohol. Withdrawal symptoms include anxiety, sweating, nausea, or shakiness. So let me throw, I want to really focus, I could talk for hours about alcohol and statistics, but the purpose of this podcast is to talk about our children and powerful parenting. So I want to focus on high school aged drinking. Of teenagers uh, in 12th grade, 62% have abused alcohol. Now I want to be very clear, that's not used alcohol or tasted alcohol. That's abused alcohol, which is going to be heavy or binge drinking or worse. 50% of that same age group have misused a drug at least once. That's one in two. That's half of a graduating high school class have taken some type of illicit drug. 62% have abused alcohol. Uh, 70% report that they drank in the past year. And 51%, nope, 55% reported that they drank in the past month. This is prevalent. High intensity drinking is defined as consuming alcohols at levels at two or three times the binging thresholds. And this is a emerging trend. So people ages 12 and over, ages 12 and over, uh, 5.3% have an alcohol use disorder. So this is getting into the definition actually of alcoholism. That's almost 6%. That's a huge number across the country. 7.2% of people ages 12 and over, 12, had a uh, alcohol use disorder in the past year. Uh, I'm sorry, only 7.2% of the people ages 12 and over with an alcohol use disorder have sought any type of treatment. So less than one in 10, even though the prevalent number is so high, very few are actually seeking treatment. And approximately 11% of U.S. children ages 17 and younger live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. One in 10. Ages 12 to 20 reported drinking alcohol in the past month. Um, I'm sorry, 19% reported drinking alcohol in the past month, ages 12 to 20. Ages 12 to 20 reported binge drinking in the past month. That is 11%. And ages 12 to 20 reported heavy alcohol use in the past month, almost 3%. Heavy alcohol use. That's just in the last month. Those are huge numbers, my friends. Research indicates that alcohol use during the teenage years can interfere with normal adolescent brain development and increase risk of developing alcohol use disorder. In addition, underage drinking contributes to a range of acute consequences such as injuries, sexual assaults, alcohol overdoses, and deaths including motor vehicle crashes. I could go on and on and on about the effects of alcohol. I don't think I need to educate anybody on that or the effects thereof. Let's talk about drug use. 
8.3% of 12 to 17-year-olds nationwide report using drugs in the last month. That's almost 1 in 10. Among them, 85% report using marijuana in the last month. 591,000 teenagers aged 12 to 17 used an illicit drug other than marijuana in the last month. That's even ratcheting it up even more. 8.7% is going to blow your mind. Of 8th graders have used illicit drugs in the last month. And 21% of 8th graders have tried illicit drugs at least once. In 8th grade, 1 in 5, my friends. By their time they're in 12th grade, almost 50% of teens have tried illicit drugs. And so I'm not even scratching the surface of what I believe what happens into adulthood when we even reach quote-unquote legal age to drink. These numbers begin to explode. One in six U.S. adults binge drink on a regular basis. One in 12 adults fit the criteria for alcoholism or alcohol abuse. I think that's underreported. That's one in 12. It's probably more one in eight, one in nine. If alcoholism is known as alcohol dependence, also known as alcohol independence, is an urge to drink, an inability to stop, need to drink more to get the same effect, and withdrawal symptoms, my friends, I think it's more than that. This is underreported. Alcohol has become such a cultural phenomenon that I believe, and this is not an overstatement, that it's worshipped in our country. And why is that? It's because it's an anesthesia. It makes you feel better. It takes away your pain. It helps you not focus on the things that hurt you. Your identity, those quiet places. I remember hearing an excellent interview on Focus on the Family. This was probably 10 years ago. And they were interviewing a woman who had come out of alcoholism. And she was saying that it wasn't even so much the party scene or the socializing. She said the real problem she had is when she came home at night and was all alone. All alone with her own thoughts, with her own quote-unquote demons. She goes, that's when it was hardest to not drink. Because that's when she felt that internal pain. It's all about identity. All you have to do is listen to country music and know that beer and alcohol is worshipped. They have their own genre of worship songs to the almighty bottle. And we can laugh about that and say, well, that's just redneck. That's just country music. That's just what it is. But I'm telling you that they are singing an ode. They are singing a worship music to it because that is their answer. That is their escape that is the solution to their pain. My wife and I were just at one of our son's football games and we were sitting in the middle of the bleachers and there were probably three or four couples behind us. And of course, all they were talking about was what they drank this weekend. Three to four couples. That's just become the cultural conversation. One of them said, well, she doesn't remember going to any college football games because she was always so drunk she has no memory. And then they laugh 
And Amy and I hear that and we hear tragedy because that's the cultural norm. She doesn't remember. That sounds an awful light like anesthesia to me. I want to be very clear, just so there's no confusion, that there are clear boundaries that the Bible gives us about drinking and drunkenness. Now, alcohol itself cannot be inherently evil. Jesus drank wine. We know this. But when, when it leads to drunkenness, when it leads to a medicinal reason to, to remove yourself and to, to insulate yourselves from the pain of this world, then it becomes something completely different. It's often called dissipation. I think the definition of this is so interesting. Dissipation means uh, to descend into drunkenness or immorality. It's the squandering of money, energy, or resources. That's what alcoholism brings you. Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. 1 Peter 4.3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. 1 Corinthians 6.10, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Luke 21.34, but watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Isn't that interesting? The cares of this life are lumped into the word drunkenness. Why? Because it's an anesthesia. It's the cares of this world that cause people to drink, that draw people to drink. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There are answers, and the answers, of course, is the Holy Spirit. But we need to, as parents, we need to set boundaries, and we need to give our kids strategies. It is everywhere. It is a cultural phenomenon. Watch a football game and watch how many beer commercials drop, drop up in front of you. We are inundated with a an anesthesia in a can or a pill or a powder can make all your problems go away temporarily. So our children need to take the stand. So if your kids are listening to this podcast, here's the question. At some point you're going to be asked whether you are sheltered as a child and that isn't going to be a problem for you. Then when you're an adult, you will be asked through your job or through your work or because it's a social norm, what will they say? Give them strategy, give them dialogue, give them a script that they can say when confronted. They can say, I don't drink. It's not my scene. It's not my thing. I'm uncomfortable with that. It's good to say you're uncomfortable with things because people can't really say much to that. They can't tell you like, oh, you're not uncomfortable because you just told them you were. People generally don't want to make people uncomfortable. I'm a big believer that culture tends to take care of itself. And when people realize that it's not your scene and it's not your thing, then you're going to stop being asked. That is true. And so kids or parents, if your kids are being asked frequently to go to a party, that should be a red flag. You should be on your guard because the question is, why are they being asked? They're being asked because they have not established the culture around them that this is a boundary. 
So if you're constantly having to field questions, can I go to a party? Will there be drinking at this party? Will there be drugs at this party? If you're constantly being bombarded by that, that shows that your child has actually not established that cultural boundary around them and their lives. And so their peers continue to ask. That's a red flag for you parents. And this is very uncomfortable to say, but I'm going to say it. It's my podcast. (laughs) Parental behavior is always copied. And I know that we need to examine ourselves. What is allowed in moderation to parents will be done in excess with their children. That's a sociological truth. So if there are issues with alcohol, if you need a little bit of a glass of wine at night to quote unquote unwind, guess what? You are doing it as an anesthetic because of pain and anxiety and your children are seeing it and they're modeling it. So when they feel it, they think, hmm, maybe that's an answer for me too. It's good for you to examine yourself, overcome lies that have been said. I can only sleep if I have a glass of wine. I I get too anxious or too depressed. Those are lies. That's not true. And I believe it's so good and such a great strategy for you and for your children to learn to ask questions. So when their peers are coming to them and talking to them about their lifestyle and the things that they care about and the boundaries that they've created around them, guess what? Kids want those boundaries. They want to be in a safe place. And it's a great opportunity for you kids, you teenagers, to start asking questions. What is the draw to this party? Why do you want to drink? How do you feel when you do drink? Try to get to their pain, to the level of their pain. And as an ER physician, I want to say this too and and, and not miss my opportunity. If you or your teenager needs help, go seek help. You can go to your family physician. You can go to the emergency department. You can call 911. Whatever you have to do to protect you or your child from the dangers of drug and alcohol. And if you're seeing the addictive, destructive dissipation in their lives where things are being squandered and their lives are being eroded away, then there's no better time to do that than now. We need powerful parents. We need to examine ourselves. We need to take responsibility for us and for our families because the future depends on it. I know this was a heavy topic for this week, but it's so important because we can't just bury our head in the sand. This is real. I see it every single shift in my small little town in which I live. There's not a shift that goes by where I don't see the effects of drug and alcohol on people's lives. It's pervasive. And it's so often just giggled and laughed away as part of life. But behind it is a demonic, divisive spirit that are taking families down. We need to have our eyes open and we need to be culturally prepared. So parents, let's be powerful. Let's be powerful. Let's talk to our children. Let's get ahead of it so that they know that they are never sideswiped by culture, but that they are actually the culture setters and the mediators on this earth. Isn't that what we want? I would love your feedback on this and other topics. Pushbackculture.org, pushbackculture.org. Thank you so much for your attention. And tell, until next week, let's go together now to set and shape the culture. <laughs>